0: Sitting on the premises. Sorry. Oh, that was entirely inappropriate in uh, sermon introduction. Um, all right. How many of you have ever been to an awkward family meal? I, I read stories like we're looking to look at today, and I'm thankful my family is so boring. Because when we've gotten together for... Uh, for dinners and things like that. Maybe it's just because that most of the time our family all lives a long way away and we're all intentionally gathering together. It's not like people live in the same town generally in our, in our extended family and they you know, bring them here and bring them there. But we, we see that there are moments in, um, in life that can be a little bit awkward, and what we come to here is just about as awkward a moment as you can imagine. And I think it's actually kind of funny to, to have that happen the first Sunday of November, knowing that many of us will be there the last Thursday of November, <laughs> that we might have one of those awkward family get-togethers. Anybody? Into, don't you don't have to raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, but you may be <laughs> anticipating one of those awkward family get-togethers. Uh, here we have Joseph who has been hopeful of this dinner. We see that his brothers came and he recognized them, and they obviously did not recognize him. And he looked a little bit different, like I said last week. Maybe he was bald, you know, maybe he looked, you know, had, had that, that shiny head look going on. And the lights were a little brighter there, who knows. But his brothers came to Egypt to find some help. And there were 10 of the brothers that were there. The youngest was not. That would be Joseph's full brother, Benjamin. And so Joseph recognizes them. He, they do not. And then they have the wonderful time of heading back home, revealing, uh, opening their sacks to reveal that all their money was still there. And they thought they were thieves. They thought that somehow they would get in trouble because they came back with all their silver. Joseph, realizing that he had been placed there to take care of not just Egypt, but the entire world, saw that his brothers were a part of that and returned the blessing of seeing them again. He returned them to their father with all the money they left with and all the food. Now, um, dad didn't respond quite like they thought they should. And I'm, I'm, I wonder what the brothers' conversation, I always wonder what the brothers' conversation is along the road because we always see the highlights, right? We see the big events, and we don't necessarily hear what was happening when Issachar and Naphtali were talking to each other. That's probably the first time you realize there were brothers called Issachar and Naphtali. But they all had these you know fancy names, and they all meant something in that time, and... Uh, they get back, and one of the brothers discovers on the way back that the, the bags were full of, uh, his bag was full of his money. And then when they get home, they realize all of them were. Now, they go home, they eat the food, and they're getting low again. Jacob does not want to send anybody back to this guy because he heard what the stipulation was on their return that they would be dealing with something. So we're going to come come right back into that. Joseph is going to be uh, reunited with his brothers here in chapter 43. I do invite you to Sam. We'll read the first 10 verses, the first paragraph out of here. And it's a lengthy page and a half passage. So we will work to touch on all of that as we have the moment too. Genesis chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Lord, teach us your word. Thank you that it is truth. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, be seated. So we have the return trip. Judah shows his moxie, so to speak, here. Remember Judah we visited earlier, and I believe it was chapter 38? We've been here a while, right? Make sure I get that right. Uh, Yes, chapter 38, and... Uh, we we further learn, uh, spoiler alert, that Judah is the tribe that God chooses to bless the nations through. And now we see one of the reasons that he is a little different than the rest of his brothers. We also have seen Reuben... show some accountability along the way. Reuben did his own bad things, as we would see in other places in Genesis. But Reuben showed that he had some character along the way. And we also know, if you go back, that Simeon is still in Egypt. And Jacob has spent, however long a time this was, grieving the loss of a second son. Now, is he grieving Simeon like he grieved Joseph? I don't think so or else they would have been there in that time, right? It's like, oh, I lost another one, but I didn't worry about that guy as much. (laughs) Ever have a brother like that that you wish? Never mind. All right, so um, Israel, Jacob, same guy. Remember, Jacob's name is changed to Israel as it contends with God. That's what Israel means. Um, He says, Israel said, why did you treat me so badly? Jacob Israel has this issue of self-centeredness. Why did you do this to me? It's all about all these bad things that have happened to me. And justifiably so. If you remember his, his account, he, he goes up north to, to find a wife. He finds a girl he likes. Her dad tricks him into marrying her sister. And then he gets to marry both of them and their maidservants. ends up having 12 children by these, actually 13, he has a daughter as well, by these four women, and now that's where we get to this place. Rachel, his favorite wife, the pretty one, dies in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, the brother he wouldn't let go to Egypt, Jacob's full, I'm sorry, Joseph's full brother. Now Joseph The obnoxious little brother goes and is supervising his brothers. His brothers are tired of it. He gets sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt for the last 20, 25 years. A lot of of things can change your mind in that length of time. They have all been through a lot of things. Uh, We have seen Judah's experience in chapter 38, and we don't necessarily know that Jacob has done anything but wallow in his own uh, self-misery, self-ministry, self-misery for the last 20 years. That's a long time to be sad, right? It's a long time to grieve, to not understand. And so as the brothers made their way down to Egypt and found the food, they realize, or sorry, their brother realizes God has hand, had his hand in this the whole time. Jacob has sat there waiting for something good to happen. He's sat there on his pity potty, having his pity party, and has just been in the bad place that long. The sons go, Joseph realizes who they are, and Joseph by that point had been through enough things that he sees the providential hand of God at work. Jacob had led him in the ways of the one true God, And Joseph had been faithful to him in that, in that he had not sinned in a disastrous way when he'd had the opportunity. Because he chose to be faithful to God, Potiphar's wife betrays him and ends up sending him to jail for a long time. He'd been there at least two years or longer when he gets called up then to be the second in command. That's where he is now. And he is now looking at this whole situation, realizing that God has placed him here for now, for this moment, to rescue his family. Joseph is always mindful of his origins, that there is something different about his life than those whom he serves in Egypt. He serves the one true God, and we're going to see through this account today Everybody knows it. He has been faithful to God through all these things. His staff realizes that those who work under him as he is now the second in command over the nation of Egypt. So Judah recaps all of these things. He says that we can't go back. You don't realize who this guy is, Father. He is going to do nothing for us. He was very plain in saying that nothing good is going to come to you if you don't return without without your if you do return without your brother. So, Israel verse 11, their father Israel says to them, if it must be so then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. So he's, that that's the first uh, aspect of it. Jacob recognizes what his sons are telling him, that this man that they have visited, not knowing it was their younger brother, this man is a man of power. We're going to try to bless them as much as he can, as we can. Now, if we go forward several hundred years, we see that the children of Israel in Egypt are promised a return to, to Palestine, to uh, the Levant, to Canaan, whatever, they end up calling it as the promised land. And what do the spies do? We're going to come back to that, but the spies go to, into the land and they bring back the first fruits of the land. And it was plentiful. And they had lots of great stuff to bring back. We know that even in the desert, God blessed this land. And Jacob sends all of this good stuff. And I don't know about you, but I everything that there was there to eat, I could partake of. Right? All that good stuff. Now, myrrh isn't one of those things. But all the things of value are are. are are worth partaking in here. Joseph is going to receive a blessing from his homeland that he didn't even ask for. He's going to be reminded that God has still blessed this promised land. Now, has the the famine reached that point? Yes, yes it has. Because they're looking for food. Right? They don't have enough grain to make the bread to eat the food. So they still have this, these trials and these problems. But God has still blessed his people. They still have resources. They have silver. right? They had enough silver to buy a whole bunch of food. And they got it for free. You ever been there? Where you think you're going to have to pay and all of a sudden the bill's done? That's a pretty cool feeling. It's also terrifying if you don't know where it came from. (laughs) That's where they are here. (laughs) What's the catch? And we're going to find out that the catch is Joseph wants to take care of his family. Verse 13. Take also your brother, and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother in Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. If I never see anybody in my family again, I'm just going to die. And I think there's both a bit of self-pity here, but also a feeling of realism that it kind of just is what it is. And sometimes we don't realize God's greatest blessings until we give it over to him. And I think there's some of that in, in Jacob's statement here. This is not up to me anymore. I can't do anything about this. We have to, to take what we have and say, Lord, it's yours. And most of the time, if we're looking at this morning, uh, we l- looked a little bit at Isaiah chapter 6 when, when I was talking with Caitlin about things, and we, we see this picture of the glory of God, and we say, I got nothing. What did I, how did Isaiah respond? I am a man of unclean lips. <laughs> I've got nothing to give you, God. And that's kind of where Jacob has here. He said, I'll give you some of the best to take of everything, but what I really want is my family. And that's what I'm asking for here. So, verse 15, here's where it gets fun. The men took his present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Remember, Joseph could have been anywhere. He was the administrator of the land. He was probably traveling, checking on the supplies, things like that. Once again, God providentially puts them in the right place at the right time together. They go to Joseph's home, and they see what's going to happen. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, in verse 16, he said to the steward of his house, "'Bring the men into the house,' and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So they got there sometime in the morning, and he says, get the party ready, we're going to have it at lunch. (laughs) We're going to do this the right way right now. And uh, let's see, verse 17, the man did as Joseph told him. Remember, Joseph has authority, he is the second in command, and brought the men to Joseph's house. The men were afraid, because they were brought to Joseph's house. Can you imagine that? If you get invited to the judge's chambers and they say, nah, let's do this at the house. (laughs) Okay. They don't know what's happening. Joseph is the only one who knows his plan here and his servant is at his mercy. He's just doing what he's told him to here. But we realize that Joseph knows he is different and he knows this situation is special and it's unique. We're going to come to more details in that here in a moment. So they went up to the... I skipped a verse here. Where was I? And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and to make make us servants and seize our donkeys. He wants all of our stuff, even our donkey. He's going to take my worn out little car. He's going to take everything I have and he's going to make me a slave. We're going down. I love how the brothers have such optimism. It's great. Oh, it's all over. Who is their dad again? Oh, yeah, Jacob. And sometimes it shows, right? So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks. And when each man's money was in the mouth of a sack, our money was in full weight so that we had brought it again with us. And we had brought other money down with us to f- buy food. We don't know who put our money in our sacks. We didn't mean to steal it. We just wanted to eat. The steward, though, knows that whatever the situation is, and you wonder, again, what the conversations have been along the way, this this, this head servant, Joseph's cupbearer, so to speak, his steward, the one who is the butler over everything, making everything happen in the house, is going, why is he obsessed with these ten guys? They don't even smell good. They wandered in the dirt. Who are these guys? Why are they obsessed with them? Except that, or why is he obsessed with them? Except that, we see some of the Joseph's testimony at work in the life of the servants. In verse 23, he replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Now, friends, that is what Christ has offered to us. When we see the glory of God and his wonderful presence, God, we, we come to it like Isaiah would and say, woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. What does the angel do there? He takes the tongs from the altar, takes a coal, puts it at the lips, burns his lips to cleanse him. No, that did not sound very good, but that's the picture of cleansing there. This stu- steward has that kind of role. And he says, You are accepted. You have been, your offering has been received. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. He knows. He he knows what's been happening, even if he doesn't know why it's been happening. That Joseph has special favor on these ten smelly kids from Canaan. Then they brought Simeon out to them. Joseph fulfills his word. The brother comes. He Simeon is the uh, in this case the uh, the collateral for Benjamin. How long had Simeon been sitting in Joseph's jail cell? <laughs> And did Joseph go to see him? I doubt it. <laughs> well, you look at this. But how long a time was it? Was it a few months? Was it another couple of years? How much were they able to carry with them back? Matter of, It probably was a few months. It was long enough for Simeon to really think about the situation and to really understand he didn't understand anything. And the brothers now see him back. What they, this, this is the first thing they see is that this man, who is their brother that they don't know, this man is a person of his word. When the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, they had washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he they should eat bread there. There's some kind of party happening at noon. I wonder. I don't know. There's a lot of things I have wondered as I've looked at this and the in the situation in Egypt and how many travelers they saw, how unique this moment was. Because probably they were they were used to people coming and begging for food and and probably scalping them as much as they could. Overpricing, that's what happens when supply and demand, right? The price goes up. But here, this was difference. And now there's going to be a party. When Joseph came home, they brought him into the house. They brought into the house to him, try again, Greg. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him at the ground. Chapter 37. What happened there? Joseph's dream. So the first time it happened, and it was fulfilled, was in chapter 42. This is another time when all the brothers end up bowing to him verse 27 and he inquired about their welfare and said is your father well the old man of whom you spoke is he still alive and Joseph still had a tough time trusting his brothers because of everything that had happened 25 years earlier however long it had been at this moment he had a hard time trusting them And on this earth, sometimes you're going to see relationships that that come and go, and they come back, and and we wonder, can can we trust this person? And maybe you can't. Maybe you can't get past that, but you can trust the Lord. And that's really what this was all about, is that Joseph recognizes that the Lord is faithful. He's just wondering, can I trust my brothers? They said, your servant, our father is well, verse 28. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. What's that picture there? What's the prostrate? Falling flat, right? Completely, I'm not going to do it here because it hurt. But they come and they fall flat on their faces before him. It's, it's really a ridiculous sight. And it, again, it brings to mind the the dreams he had. That the the seven stalks or the eleven stalks? No, that was Pharaoh. I'm getting the dreams mixed up now. All right? Let me make sure I get them right. I think I may be right. <sighs> All right. So here's this dream I've dreamed. Yes, we're binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gather around it and bow down to my sheaf. Yeah, it was grain. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes when I get up here and I'm working from memory, it it takes off on me. And then the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to him. Right. This is the fulfillment of that. This is what we're seeing happen. They prostrate themselves before him. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Now, I know with me and my brother, it is obvious when you see us next to each other, even though I'm five times his size. It's kind of true. I'm a lot bigger than my brother. We look a lot alike. Same DNA created both of us. And it's obvious. And Joseph probably looks at, as Joseph is clean-shaven and has his perfumes and cologne on and all the, 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 the decorations of the office that he's, held, he's holding at that time, he's probably looking at Benjamin and seeing what he looked like ten years earlier. Dirty. Dirty bearded. They look a whole lot alike. Is he actually doubting that this is Benjamin? I think only in the sense of how hard it is to believe that he actually is in the same room with him. How do we know that? Verse 30 tells us, Joseph hurried out, his compassion grew more for his brother, and he sought out a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there, So he runs out of the dining hall, runs, how big was this building? Who knows, right? And he goes into his chamber and he weeps. He washes his face and comes out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So we have three separate tables Joseph's by himself. He never has eaten with the Egyptians. Does he look like one? Probably. But he, he knows he's different. The Egyptians eat on his own, on their own. He eats on his own. They have their own table. And they sat before him. The firstborn, according to his... This is one of my favorite parts in this whole chapter right here. He put out the name cards. Right? I want to was there a was there like a you know a two-way glass where he's talking to you know, I know there wasn't but I can you know just just imagine this there's a two-way glass and he's seeing his brothers and he's just kind of giggling cuz they're confused and scared and yet there he is all 11 of them are there right cuz Simeon had stayed in Egypt and now he's back with them and Benjamin had come down this time and Joseph is talking to his steward and he goes okay so he goes there he goes there. He goes there. It's like that painting of, of the Last Supper when it said everybody moved to one side of the table so we can get a photograph. Come on, guys. Get there. All right? How, how, what did that look like? Right? Here they are. Firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Oh, he's just toying with them. Right? He's like, ah, am I going to, Okay. We're not going to get to the fulfillment of it here in a moment, because that's next week. But portions were taken from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as many as any of theirs. And they drank, and they were merry with him. And if you see the uh, some other translations, it uses a word we don't usually see in regards to the Bible, that they got drunk. They had a party. And they got smashed. All right? What is going on? And then... The guy who puts the chapters here stops, and he makes the next one 44, and the pastor's going to come back to it next week. Tough cookies. All right? So now, what's going to happen? Think about all of these different challenges along the way, and all of a sudden, they're they amazed because there's, things, there's some kind of magic at work here that this guy can put them in their birth order. There's no magic at work here. It's the faithfulness of God. And that's when we come to all of it. It's not a sense of karma or any of those kinds of things. Is that God is sovereign over his plan for this world and salvation. And he planned to rescue the people of Israel here, the children of Israel, by bringing the tribes to Egypt in this moment. Now, one of the challenges with this whole passage is understanding what's going on from the helicopter view. I have a hard time seeing this as what goes around comes around, and I realize that that's, a, that's an easy thing to get caught up in here. It's not really what's happening here. What we find is that it's a picture of God's sovereignty over history and His plan for our salvation and our redemption. And this is a small piece, although it, it, in history it's a, it's a large moment. This is something that had to happen in order for God's plan to be fulfilled. One of the lessons we can take from here, and it goes back to the life of Joseph and the character of this man, is we seldom have control over our circumstances. Remember Joseph's map? I think I actually have it in there. Put Joseph's map up for me. Joseph did not have a chance to decide where he went anywhere. All of those arrows, as small as they may look to you right now, Joseph was in somebody else's chariots. And yet, wherever he went, he trusted God. God is still in all of our circumstances. We now, today, and at this moment, I think there's the Spirit of the Lord guiding that as well. We have the Holy Spirit to guide our response. Maybe think of Galatians 5. We went through Galatians last summer, and uh, Galatians 5 talks about the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirits. And what do we see about the deeds of the flesh? There's all kinds of bad things that we do naturally. We don't have to try to sin, guys. We in this flesh, even as believers, still sin. God calls us to repentance. But he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And see, Joseph is a, is a picture of Christ in this. And that he, at any point along the way, could have dropped and blamed God for his circumstances. And yes, is God in control of them? Absolutely. However... He chose to flee sin when he had the chance to do it. Would anybody really have known if he had slept with Potiphar's wife? God would have. And God probably wouldn't have called him to this place and that. He made a choice, and God rescued him eventually. We will suffer for good choices that we make sometimes. But God is blessed. And it can't be about us and our choices at that point. It has to be about obedience to God and what blesses Him. But when we trust God to guide us in His Spirit, He leads us to the point, point. and I don't think it's any accident that the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that appears last is self-control. Because what do you usually remember from a conversation. One of the things you usually remember is the last thing that was said. Joseph here is testing his brothers and still exercising great self-control because he does provide for their needs. If he'd been acting in the flesh, he probably would have thrown them all in jail like they threw him in the pit up in Shechem. Right? Probably would have done that to my brother. I know my brother would have done it to me. And not because of his character, it's because of mine. See, Joseph decides at this moment that the sovereign hand of God matters more than the trial he's been through. He trusts the Lord. And he knows that in this moment, And he says it here, and he'll say it later, I've been sent ahead of you to take care of you. And what kind of moment is that when we realize that Christ has already come and taken care of our sin on the cross? We end up wrestling in our own muck and our mire and our nastiness and our sinfulness, and we think, you know, i I got to take care of this myself. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Christ takes it for us and He just is waiting for us to give it to Him. To lay what we have at the altar and allow Him to take ownership of our lives because He is good and faithful. And He offers His Spirit to live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against no thing. Against such thing there is no law. He draws us to obedience so that we might bless Him. And as we see God at work here, I pray that the realization we have is that God, God is good, He is faithful, He is kind, He is not vindictive, He is not drawing them to a place where they will not be cared for. But they are are called to to trust and called to be blessed and ultimately called to fulfill the sovereign plan of the one true God. Let's follow him and trust him through those trials today. Let's pray. Our God, you are good. I thank you for your faithfulness in our hearts and our lives. I pray that we would be obedient to the call you've placed upon us, that we would bless you and trust you in moments where it doesn't seem to make sense, but that we would see your faithfulness in your word and live that out to bless your name. Pray for the one that needs to place their trust in you today, that they they would be bold in their need for salvation, for forgiveness. And for the for receiving your grace and your love, thank you, God, for your goodness today. Help us to uh, to trust you each moment. And I pray, God, that uh, we we give you the glory in each of those times. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand.